Okay. We should be live. Excellent. Uh, all right. So are you at the are you at the university right now? I am. Yes, I'm in my office at the moment. Okay. Okay. Great. Um, all right. Well, let's let's get into it then. So so. Uh, Hey everyone, I'm Fraser Kane. I'm the publisher of Universe Today. I've been a space and astronomy news journalist for over 20 years. And I like to bring you behind the scenes, talking to the people who are making the news, the researchers, the scientists. And uh, so today, we're going to be talking about photonics and space power. So uh, welcome to the show. Hi, so, nice so, to be so here. The question I always ask people, who are you? What do you do? Okay, well, um, I'm Stephen Sweeney. I'm uh, a physicist. So, um, and I'm a, a work at the University of Surrey in the UK. Um, and I am a physicist that specializes in something called photonics. And photonics uh, is all about the science of light, right? Or how we use light um, and how we can do interesting things with it. So really everything that I do in some way involves using light um, and trying to do something, um, something that we can all make use of. In fact, you know, for example, today, it talk, just talking to you on this, uh, in this remote connection, we're using lasers uh, that are firing uh, signals through optical fibers, uh, and those are those are kind of some of the things that we do. Well, I, I'm using Starlink, so it's even going to space, which is there. You go even yeah. more. <laughs> so, so does does photonics does it sort of narrow down the the wavelength of the electromagnetic spectrum? Is it a certain part of it, or does it sort of include anything from from radio to gamma rays? Yeah, so we, we, we tend to focus more in the uh, in the sort of visible visible near infrared region is where a lot of it happens. But of course, we can go beyond that. So so um, there's an increasing amount of photonics happening in the mid infrared, uh, and then even pushing out towards the terahertz, as it's called, um, because there are just loads of applications that we can use uh, electromagnetic radiation in in that range. So so pretty much we've. I guess we've probably expanded expanded the boundaries of, of of what we call photonics in the past few years. But but like, what is the like? Is photonics a fancy word for lasers? Um, like, lasers are a big part of photonics, right? right. So so um, and a laser is a particular type of photonic uh, device or instrument. Um, but re really, no photonics. I think years ago we used to talk about optoelectronics more. Um, which is kind of like the uh, how light and electronics kind of come together. Um, and it's become more about photonics now because I think it's also to do with how we directly manipulate light. So, so, so it's a very broad field. So photonics literally will do anything from, like I say, communications. It can be used in biology and medicine. It really can be used everywhere. So, so lasers are probably one of the most successful technologies that have enabled that. I, I love just sort of like the story of, of lasers, how back when they were originally developing it, they really had no idea what it would be used for. And yet now lasers are, are every single part of our life. If you know, if mm. something interesting is happening, you can probably find a laser in there somewhere. You know, Absolutely. I mean, I think it was called a solution looking for a problem, right? So so originally, <laughs> yeah. and, um, uh, and of course, now that that solution has found lots of problems. And uh, I, I say to people, you know, you, you maybe don't realize it, but there are probably several lasers in your house um, doing something. Um, you know, back in the old days when we used to have compact discs and, and DVDs, of course, they were all powered by lasers. Um, but now even like how we stream data uh, over the, over optical fibers to the home is using, again, using lasers for that and, and the other technologies that, you know, we, do, we won't even think about, but that there is a laser in there doing some work for us. Yeah, yeah. Now you came across my, my radar uh, which I don't know if that's part of photonics. Anyway, um, about uh, a couple of months ago, I think, and 
and you were working on some research to look into space power. And you know, the viewers on this channel know I've been fairly, I don't know, dismissive. People are wondering when we're going to have giant space satellites beaming power down to Earth to power all of our hopes and dreams. And you know, it's I think we're a long way off from that case, but you're working on a fairly interesting version of space power that really caught my attention. So can you give us an idea of, of the research that you're working on for for space power? Sure. Yeah, sure. So so um, as I said, this is sort of a, a part of, of, of what we do. And I guess the nice thing about this research is it it links a couple of areas of photonics together very nicely. Um, so so we've spent many years working on developing lasers uh, and different types of lasers for various applications and also uh, photovoltaics which is the the sort of the opposite really it's something that receives light and turns it back into electricity and so um the idea of this uh this this project really is it's all to do with well okay we're very familiar with how we wirelessly transmit data and information but actually we can equally do that with energy um, and of course, most of the energy that we have terrestrially is you know, br brought to us through cables uh, in some way, um, directly through through wires. Um, but but we can do that wirelessly as well. So so and actually using electromagnetic radiation, so light is is a is a good way of trying to do that. So so this project um, really, I guess we we started working on on what we now call wireless power quite a few years ago, and actually some of the early stage work really was to do with some of the big, really big picture ideas like space-based solar power. Yeah. And and that has now sort of evolved into many other applications, some of which terrestrial, and I'm happy to talk about those a bit later. Um, but this particular project, we we uh, essentially teamed up with a company called Space Power in the UK, who, who had this really interesting idea of, of, of actually trying to solve a problem with satellites, trying to solve a problem with satellites in low Earth orbit in terms of their... Um, their supply of energy and so the basic idea of this project is, is essentially that um, is to take some of the ideas of how we can transmit energy um, using lasers and and using that as a means of providing power to to satellites in low earth orbit um, and the reason we need that or why why there is a, a need for that is that really well number one there are lots of satellites in low earth orbit and this is increasing significantly i think um I think there was estimated something like eight thousand active satellites in in Leo. Yeah, I think like um, which three thousand of them were were supplied in the last couple of years, thanks to absolutely. Thanks to and and, yeah. and the interesting thing about that, of course, is that um, it, it's it's going to get more and more, right? I mean, it's going to get more, more congested, more satellites, more launches, and so on, which is you know very positive in terms of uh, the use of space for productive things. But but I guess the things there is that we have to think about is well. Um, well, how do we provide energy to them? Because they spend quite a lot of their time, um, you know, they go around the earth maybe uh, 11 times a day or something. Uh, they spend a good fraction of that time in the eclipse, so in the earth's shadow. And of course the solar panels on board those satellites effectively can't do anything when, when, they're, in, when they're in shade. Um, so they're essentially not, not able to, um, to, to really do very much. So there's a solution to that is well put big batteries on board those satellites, but of course that increases launch mass and so on. Hmm. Um, and also just more materials and so on. Um, and so the idea of this was to say, well, actually, what if we could actually um, just get the energy to those satellites using a using other means? So in this case, using a laser. Um, and that's a general idea. So 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 we worked with Space Power on 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 looking at this from a feasibility perspective. So we've done a lot of lab-based trials where we've essentially looked at, well, 
um, you know, what, what, what are the conditions you need to satisfy in order to get um, uh, sort of energy into, the, into those small satellites. And so a lot of the focus has therefore been on, you know, what, what are the optimum wavelengths for the lasers? Um, what does, how does it depend on other factors that the satellite might experience? So for example, temperatures, you know, they can be operating in quite extreme temperatures. So in the eclipse, they can be quite cold, for example. Um, so we've been looking a lot at how we can develop a system that accommodates that. So, so there's so there's a, a lot to do on both ends of the of that you know that uh, thing you know you've got the laser at one end you've got the photovoltaics on the satellites at the other end so there's a lot of uh, interesting photonics involved. Well, like you know when I envision a, a a satellite in low Earth orbit, I'm you know I'm envisioning a fairly small you know satellite package and then usually some giant winged you know solar panel wings that are extending out from it and then as you say in addition to these sort of fairly extensive solar panel arrays you've also got a significant battery to keep it alive and warm through the through the 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 eclipse portion of its journey if you could beam it power then you you would need and this is a, th a thing i want to understand less of, of a solar voltaic system, because it's essentially, you're firing a very directed beam right at its solar panel, and essentially no battery system. So you're reducing the and then all the electronics that goes along with that, like, it sounds like you're just simplifying it down to the whatever is the communication science package on the on the device itself. Is that? Yeah, is that so, so I, I guess, I mean, I think that's you, you can consider that to be sort of one particular sort of case um, where you know where you can go all the way to that extreme. Um, but but there are also intermediates, right? Where where it means you, you maybe just don't have to have a very as very you know bigger battery on board the satellite, or you don't have to have quite as big a solar panels. And of course, they're all useful in terms of satellite launches, in terms of uh, the amount of mass that you have to launch, but also the materials cost. Um, and, and the other thing, of course, to think about is is, is just lifetime, because um, uh, one of the one of the other things about these is that they, um, you know, their their sort of utilization rate of satellites in terms of uh, in terms of the, how long they're up there is relatively low, right? And that's largely because of energy. Um, and so, so I think there's some problems you can solve with the with this approach in terms of uh, both uh, launching satellites, but also just in terms of materials use right in terms of how much how much material you need to be able to fulfill the need and maybe you don't need to launch quite as many satellites if they if they can last longer and do their job longer mm -hmm. uh when, when they're in orbit so so i think there are different benefits so so but but what you you know what you say there is correct you know at one extreme you might imagine that really you need a very minimal uh battery um to to actually achieve the operation i i think in practice you would like i say you'd still have have a battery there um it's just that it wouldn't be anything like what you would need uh, if you didn't have this additional source. So what kind of range are you considering to be able to to fire this this laser? I'd love to know about the sort of the the laser. How powerful is the laser? How far can it go? And then how big of a, a receiving photovoltaic system do you need to be able to to power the satellite? Yeah, so they're really good questions. I mean, so you're talking thousands of kilometers, right? So so you're talking thousands or even more uh, kilometers. Now, of course, um, lasers are the only really way you can do that. Um, so so the, a, a coherent light source um, that you can send in a collimated beam very controllably and you can direct it very controllably. Um, so so really that that that's the, it's only the laser that really allows you to, 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 to do this. Um, 
And so, so the sort of powers, actually, I mean, that's an interesting question as well, because a lot of these small satellites don't actually use huge amounts of power. Um, you know, they, could, they can literally be down at the sort of hundreds of watt level, um, you know, even less, less, less well, than a couple a, of hundred watts. I mean, we were talking about this last night. Void, the Voyagers are down to four watts. Yeah. And still yeah. sending data back to Earth yeah. and, and doing scientific information so. exactly so 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 if you if you imagine i mean you know we th think of satellites that are using maybe you know 100 watts or so which is sort of the order of, of several light bulbs um of, of of energy really um and at that level it means that you you know you're talking about using lasers so a, a laser that ha is delivering say uh, 500 600 watts of power which is quite a lot in laser terms but quite quite achievable actually um is, is a, would give you enough energy and once you account for things like conversion efficiencies to to actually produce that level of power and more um so so th those i think that's one of the things you know that, that because the power levels that we're talking about here are relatively small compared to some of the really big projects like space-based solar power which is on orders of magnitude above that so this is a level where it becomes a bit more achievable when you think about you know what is what is sort of normal laser normal laser technology that's available and 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 you know and and the type of uh, the type of things you're driving on the satellite or you need to do so it brings it into a what I would say is an achievable range. And so I mean I'm, I'm assuming this is space based. Is the, is there you know if you're going to be going thousands of kilometers you're going to want to keep your power satellite in sunlight as long as possible. Are there some orbits yeah. that you're that you're looking at to be able to to do that? Yeah. So, so I mean, actually, this is. I mean, I'm not the, the specialist in the satellite dynamics, but um, but yes, I think that there, I think there are two approaches here. One is that you um you actually can have a satellite in low Earth orbit that's just a bigger satellite that or that that has bigger solar panels and does have the big battery. Let's say mm. that can still provide even when it's eclipsed, it can still provide the other the other satellites. Or you put the satellite in a that's in a higher orbit where it has a longer exposure uh, to the sun, right? And then of course you you increase the transmission distance that you would need. So I think, for example, um, you know, space power are looking at different ways of achieving this in terms of the orbits that they would use. Um, but as I say, it it can be literally that you just do most things in low Earth orbit, um, and it just, you just instead of having, um, you know, you might have a, a few master satellites, if you like, that are the power stations or power providers for your for your grid that you're creating. Assuming your aim was good, how 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 efficient is this process? Like, how small mm. of a solar panel could you get to power your your satellite, even if you're transmitting this power over over thousands of kilometers? Yeah, so so you can actually. Um, one one thing you would you would actually do is at the laser end you you would uh, initially you would expand the beam um, so that and that and the reason you would do that is so that when the beam then transmits it doesn't diverge very much and so you know um, if you think about a, a laser if you think about a laser pointer or something something sort of very familiar um, they're very narrow beams um, and and they diverge you know you'll see quite a lot of divergence over over distance. Um, uh, but if you make the beam bigger to start with, then that divergence is smaller. So you can, you know, look at then having beams that are, uh, you know, maybe sort of of the order of tens of centimeters or something across that then transmit onto a onto a, a, a solar panel that's of similar dimensions, if you like. Um, oh, and that again, that so, becomes, so sorry. So, so just understand this. So so in other words, that if you if you diverge the beam on purpose to a larger size, then it will remain coherent for a longer distance. Yeah. So, so what you're doing is you're you're, you're so you're 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 not you're not you're, sort of, you're not divergent as such. You're just you're ex increasing the 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 width of the beam. So mm -hmm. 
So if you like, you start off with a wider beam and then the divergence of that beam actually is lower over, over distance because you're the, so, so it's one of those things that um, if you're starting off with something very, very, very small, you'll see a big effect on its divergence. Whereas if you start, if you make it bigger, you will see a smaller effect. So that's a quite a standard thing to do actually to, to maintain a sort of more collimated beam. Now, now this is sort of, sort of thinking about this from space. Is there any way to do this from earth? Yeah, I mean, and actually people have thought about this as well, um, about doing uh, similar types of, uh, uh, of power, power beaming from Earth. Now, the, the, the sort of the pros and cons of that are um, doing something from Earth on one hand is a lot easier because um, you don't have to launch it. Um, yeah, it's right there. Yeah. Transmitter. Um, but the other thing you have to put up with is the atmosphere. Um, and and that's where you then have to be very uh, selective um, in terms of what you're doing, because um as, as you well as you know you know the, the the atmosphere has a very strong effect on light so we, we know that from just looking at the looking at the sky uh, and looking at this you know looking at the blue sky and, and looking at red sky in the evening and so on so there's a lot of scattering and so on that we have in the atmosphere and that's very wavelength dependent and so so what we if you were going to do it from the earth you would have to pick what we call atmospheric windows uh, so wavelengths of light that would find their way most easily through the atmosphere now, you can find those actually. There are some uh, wavelengths that are where the atmosphere is actually uh, very transmissive. Actually, you can get you know well over sort of ninety five percent transmission at certain key wavelengths um, in the infrared, for example. Um, but but they also change depending on the conditions. So if it's uh, if it's cloudy or lots of water vapor, then you might you might even then still see more scattering. So 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 it is possible. Um, and uh, indeed, as I say, people have considered this. Um, but you just have to think more because of the atmosphere and the atmospheric effects. But it is interesting. It's sort of like the opposite of the, you know, everyone thinks, oh, we're going to send giant satellites to space and they're going to use, say, microwaves to beam the power down to Earth. But actually, the the sort of simpler application that can help develop the technologies to go the other way to to provide the power to the satellites from Earth and, and yeah, learn I, from I, there. Absolutely. And, and, and there have been lots of experiments of um, using lasers through the atmosphere for various applications, actually, not just power. I mean, you know, and there are some other applications, for example, using there's some really fantastic work going on to try and use lasers for uh, LIDAR, for, for looking at positioning spatial awareness and looking at where satellites are and tracking them using using reflected laser light. Um, so so and again, you know, the, the, you all always have to think about the the atmospheric conditions when you're doing that. So. So there's a lot of opportunity as well for doing um, applications that are pointing the laser upwards. And and so like, what about the loss of of, of efficiency? So like, you know, say you've got your you've got your big space power satellite, it's receiving all of the light from the sun, whatever is the efficiency of the solar voltaics on the satellite, it's then converting that into a laser firing it to the secondary satellite, the secondary satellite is using a sort of voltaic system to to turn that into energy, what kind of loss do you think you're getting across this chain? Yeah, that's again, that's a really good question. Um, and I mean, I guess the the basic answer to that is it varies, um, and that's obviously one of the parameters that we're quite in, interested in in improving. Um, but if you look at a, a solar panel on board a satellite, it may be you know maybe it's working at thirty to forty percent uh, conversion efficiency um, of the sunlight into electrical energy. Um, and then you're powering a laser and a laser may um, that may, you know, at, at the top end, you might you might get it sort of like 50, 60 
70 percent you can get as, a, as, as an efficiency in a wow. hyper laser actually under the right conditions but you know really you know reasonable reasonable sort of numbers you might say well let's say 40 to 50 percent um and then at the other end when you get to the receiver on the on the satellite you're again looking uh you're again looking more like 40 40 or 50 percent conversion efficiency there and of course those all multiply through yes um and so you then you know end up with an efficiency and it might be you know for example it could quite possibly be 20 percent or even lower now um actually for a lot of applications that that's that's not such a problem um the, the fact that you can do it and deliver the energy when you need it the efficiency is less of a less critical if you like because it's uh, energy that's there and you're just getting it from the sun all the time anyway on your master satellite uh but but of course there are ways that we can improve that and so the sort of things that we work on are, again, for example, well, um, what can we do? Uh, well, at the, at the very beginning, you say, well, what can we do about the, the photovoltaics and satellites to make them more efficient? And there's a huge amount of research going on in, in things like um, multi-junction solar cells and so on that are very effectively capture the, you know, as much of the solar spectrum as possible. And then you've got research on, again, on lasers. And I say the lasers can get very high efficiency. So the conver conversion efficiency of high power lasers can be extremely high. Um, so then at the other end, like I say, when you're when you're collecting that laser light on the photovoltaic on your, your smaller satellite, then again, that 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 efficiency of, of, of conversion is very sensitive to wavelength. And so what we've spent quite a bit of time looking at in the research is well, what wavelengths are best? You know, mm. what, what wavelength could we use? And actually we've looked at several. Um, and uh, and for example, maybe even you could use more than one wavelength. Right. And so for some satellites and for some types of solar panel, that's what you want to do. You actually want to use several wavelengths to 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 uh, actually then optimize the the efficiency of the system. And then for the other factor, of course, that comes into that is what is the operating environment of that satellite? And so um, one thing that's very interesting about um, satellites in eclipse is is that the sort of the temperature, if you like, is quite low. Um, and what, one very interesting thing about photovoltaics is that when the temperature drops, their efficiency goes up. And so in, in our lab tests, for example. That's ironic. Um, it, it, yeah, it's, it's actually, it's, a, it's just some really, really uh, nice physics that um, when you cool down, when you cool down the semiconductor that's forming the photovoltaic, you tend to get rid of the, the what we call the loss processes, the things that uh, essentially produce, produce heat rather than anything useful. Um, and so you cool it down and you can start to reduce those. And so in our lab type trials, for example, we've, we've had uh, solar cells that were, we were getting efficiency of about 30 or so percent, let's say, uh, under normal room temperature conditions. And when we cool it down to sort of cryogenic conditions, you're getting over 70 percent. Um, uh, so you can get quite a, wow. quite a big increase. That's really in interesting. Efficiency. I had no yeah. idea. So, no, yeah, I guess, so that, I guess so no one had found problem. out. Like no one had, no, no one had tried uh, gathering sunlight in the dark. Yeah, and it's it's very interesting again because um, you know I remember having conversations about this uh, with people a few years ago and said you know we've done these uh, we've done various experiments in the lab uh, in cryostat system so this is taking it down to sort of you know uh, liquid nitrogen type temperature so sort of below 100 Kelvin um, uh, so th th these are pretty cold conditions but not unreasonable conditions for that kind of environment. And so when I spoke to people that work in in, in the space sector, and I was saying, well, actually, there are there are situations where this could be useful, and it's I mean, it's not just the sort of things we're talking about just now, but even things like lunar uh, lunar exploration in polar regions, that kind of thing, where where it's dark and and it's cold, um, and in those cold conditions, your photovoltaics are very good. 
Well, and that is sort of leads into the next sort of series of questions that I wanted to talk to you about is it feels to me like this is ideal for say, being able to have rovers in the permanently shadowed craters on the moon. Have have you sort of been suggesting this technology to NASA and others looking to send rovers into those regions? Yeah, this is this is something that's being discussed actually um, in in various areas and in, 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 by various various players in the, working in working in the sector. Um, it is it is potentially very interesting because of course um, if you can if you're thinking about some uh, some lunar rover doing uh, exploring a, a crater or something, um, I think one of the risks of that is always if you have to bring it somewhere to charge it. Um, you, if you have, to, have to always take it back somewhere, then there's always a risk whenever you have to do that. If you want to tether it with something, that's, that's also a risk. Um, but if you could just have something where it's just effectively got its own sun um, that's providing, providing energy to it, um, either from uh, maybe, again, it, it could be a, a, a lunar satellite that you're using to, to power the rover, or it could just be a, a big, something on a, bit, on a big uh, pylon or something, a big post where it's just delivering energy down into a, into a crater. Um, from from a, a laser, so uh, yeah, I think it could be very interesting um, to see how that might be might be applied. Um, does the do you think that the laser that you need, like, will the efficiency need to change over time? Like, as the distance changes, as the temperature changes, would you change the nature of the laser to to match the conditions? Yeah, sense. I mean, the, the, uh, yeah, no, it's a good question. I mean, the, the for example, um, it depends on the environment and you know what's in that environment. So, for example, one of the uh, one of the sort of good things about doing the using these lasers in a, in, the, in the low Earth orbit satellite environment is there aren't any people there, right? So, so, so you know, um, you you can uh, you, you can you don't need to worry so much about some of the normal things that we consider with lasers and and, and safety and so on. In, in the sense of you know anything that gets in the way of the beam, um, if you're using it in environments where there is there are other factors involved, or there might be uh, there might be potential uh, potential exposure to people and so on, then you choose wavelengths that we consider to be eye safe. And so again, um, that that applies also a lot to obviously things on the terrestrial applications. Um, but we've again done quite a lot of research on how you make what we call eye safe systems, and those are operating at wavelengths that we know. Um, uh, are actually safe in terms of the way that they interact with human eye and human skin and so on. So, so again, there are other factors like that um, that, are that are important. Um, and if we're doing it in an environment where there is an atmosphere, then of course, as I mentioned earlier, we have to think about factors to do with laser transmission and what might cause attenuation of the beam or scattering mm -hmm. of the beam in other ways. So, so for example, if we're looking at things like a planetary exploration um, and using uh, rovers on other planets and doing similar things, then yeah, we'd need to think about that. Uh, and we'd have to be selective about what we use. Now, one of the big issues with say, these mega constellations of satellites like Starlink is the impact that they're having on astronomy, they are relatively bright. I mean, you can't see them with the with the unaided eye, but they are definitely a problem for big telescopes. And a big chunk of this is the reflection that is coming off of the giant solar panel. So do you think that that if you went this route, you could decrease the visibility of a of a of a satellite? Yeah, I suppose that, that's quite an interesting that's an interesting point as well. I mean, uh, in, in some senses, I would say yes, if you because you could reduce the size of the panels that you need on some of these small satellites. 
so you reduce the, you know the reduce the uh, the re the reflecting surface area if you like um so yes in that sense i would i would say that's possible um and even i suppose if you took it to its extreme and said well um could you make something that um something that basically just relied on the laser and not didn't actually even need to have the solar illumination that, uh, at all um then you could engineer the 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 panels maybe that they don't even reflect in the visible part of the spectrum so so that you mm. actually don't see you don't see some of that reflected light so i mean that's this kind of like thinking thinking about possibilities really but um but yeah i think i think the fact that you can physically reduce the size is an important factor and also you know, one of the nice things about photonics, again, is that we can structure surfaces uh, to control the way that light is reflected off the surface. And of course, if you're in the business of making um, solar panels, um, ref light reflecting off the surface is waste, right? Because, um, you know, if, if a good solar panel absorbs all of the light hitting it. Um, and again, so there's I think there's a good engineering a piece of engineering challenge there to to actually improve that. So. So, yeah. I think right. I think there is opportunity. To All right, well, we'll that. pass that. We'll pass that feedback along to Elon Musk then. But then, I guess on the flip side, you've got lasers zapping around in space. Would that cause a? Would that hinder astronomy in any way? Um, well, I think the good thing about, in in some senses, I would say that the good thing is that we we are using very specific wavelengths, and they're very narrow, right? So, so the nice, the other thing about a laser, of course, that's different from other light sources so if you think about even like a light bulb or or, or the sun they're very broad so it, spectrally you know the number of wavelengths there is, is huge you know they're very broad spectrum laser lasers are extremely narrow so they're very well defined wavelengths and so that means that we can for example if you, you if you know that there's a wavelength a, a wavelength there that may be a problem if you're doing some observational astronomy or something, then you could look at filtering that wavelength. And if that wavelength is away from the sort of uh, light that you're interested in, uh, then that actually poses less of a problem as well. Hmm. So, so again, I think the good thing about the good thing about having control over that wavelength is it means you can take that kind of uh, those sort of things into account in the design. And so, like, as long as you don't point it at people's telescopes, it should be fine because it's it's going yeah. from point yeah, to point. Yeah, absolutely. And and and. Actually, interestingly enough, I mean, some of that, depending on the telescope, type of telescope, but it, it could actually even be blind at the wavelength that we're using, right? So if you're doing, if you're doing visible, if you're focusing on visible astronomy, you know, visible light astronomy, then uh, the, some of the wavelengths we use, you wouldn't even detect it. It wouldn't even register. Yeah. So, so again, but of course, you know, astronomy covers many, many wavelengths, covers a very broad spectral range. So you'd have to consider that. Yeah. I mean, I can imagine like maybe there's a heat signature from, you know, in the infrared, so it might not be visible visible light, but maybe it casts a bigger infrared signature because the heat is concentrated into a smaller area as it's being gathered. I'm not sure. Um, but it's yeah, just, a, I, but, just an but, idea. Yeah, but I guess one thing I would say there is that, again, because the laser light has such a narrow, uh, narrow spectral range, it means that you, you can create filters like optical filters on your telescope that just knock that out. Yeah, right. So that so that you don't you don't see it, it doesn't get to a detector. So you could you could sort of talk with the astronomical community and say, okay, let's, you know, we're going to be giving off this wavelength of light, which is, you know, not that useful to you or whatever. Let's, let's, let's agree that this is what kind of wavelength we're giving off so that you can, you can deal with it appropriately. Absolutely. Yeah, and and yeah. even, even before that, at the, at the design stage is say, right, you know, we, we actually have a choice here of wavelengths that we might use, um, which ones, which uh, from your perspective, uh, which of those is going to be to present, uh, you know, the least problem really, or, yeah. or won't present a problem. So this is super cool. I'm really excited. I think it's a great 
use for this technology. And I can imagine the work having lots of other applications, but but I want to now shift into the speculative portion of this interview. So, so I understand, uh, you know, there might be uh, people who are wary about you making things. So this is all just like, we're just like, hanging out in, in a pub, speculating about the future. Um, does so let's let's talk about this technology. I mean, obviously, you know, we're all tethered to all these stupid cords all the time in our lives. And people have been promising wireless power distribution for for quite a while, and yet it never seems to uh, appear. Do you think that that some kind of wireless power or wireless recharging is is feasible? Yes. Um, so so um, of course, we do already have some forms of wireless charging, right? So, so um, most modern smartphones will use wireless charging. They'll do some sort of inductive charging, for example. Now, of course, that's close proximity. Um, you know, you put your you put your, your smartphone down on 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 effectively on a charging pad. Yes. Um, but I want. But there's no, no actually, lasers. There are no lasers coming out of my little charging. Pad. No, no, that's right. So now, but but actually, in terms of doing um, wireless charging using lasers. Uh, this is already demonstrated, actually, and it's another thing we also work on. Um, and again, as I was saying earlier, the one main thing we think about when we th when, when we start to look at, um, let's say, consumer applications of charging. So let's say, you know, I want to charge my 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 phone or or my iPad or whatever it is uh, wirelessly. Then yeah, we can do that. We can already do that if we put a laser. If we have a laser system, for example, in an enclosure in the ceiling of a room. Like in a like a you might have a, your your light or something like that, then that could be uh, essentially uh, beaming energy down to any device that you want to operate. Uh, it could be using some like image tracking to to know where the devices are in a room. And the key thing there is that we need to have uh, we have that operating in what we call an eye safe uh, mode. And again, that comes down to the choice of wavelengths. And we've already worked on the the particular wavelengths in the infrared that we know are eye safe. And so, in that, in those, with those um, types of systems, we can do wireless charging. Um, of course, what you need at the other end is the photovoltaic. So you, you have to have something built into the receiver that is um, going to then do the conversion for you. But I'm so assuming technically, the, it's the range is fairly small. I mean, you're only a few meters away from the laser. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. So, and again, you know, um, in fact, there's a, 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 a one or two companies already that are. are uh, looking at uh, sort of demo commercial demonstrators of this kind of system for for an office or a home environment, um, and and it's it's doable. I mean, the, the technology is already there to make this to make this happen, um, and so really it's 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 a case of uh, I, I think the, the sort of things that come into I guess question there will be what efficiency can you do that uh, that at, um, and if you know my um, my I guess my thoughts on that are that. You are going to have. You may be a bit more sensitive to efficiencies when it's in more of a, a regular application, and that's where sometimes you have to think about what the conversion efficiency will be of that system compared to something like induction. So I think that's one thing. Um, and there are other areas, perhaps, where, for example, you know, we we know that we're already in a, a revolution in terms of vehicles, right? Electric vehicles, um, and you know, we're we're now looking uh, looking at essentially moving completely away from uh for internal combustion engines over to electric vehicle technology and certainly there's a lot of uh, pressure and, and push to do that over the next decade or two 
Um, but you need to be able to charge these vehicles, right? And so, so again, you need ideally what you want is some wireless way of charging. And it could be, let's say, in the future that we come up again with systems that are based on either laser or it could be it could be a microwave or other method that we will use for doing wireless charging. So, so I think sort of coming back to your your question, really, um, my perspective on this is that technically it's becoming much more feasible mm. to make wireless charging a reality, and there are more applications now that demand it. Um, and so I, I think we will see this increasing over the, over the coming uh, coming decade. And it is an, it, it's an interesting balance, right? When I think about my phone, it, the weight of my phone is mostly its battery. And mm. <clears throat> the battery is there to last me one whole day. And the amount of energy that it uses that I have to recharge that phone is, is negligible. I mean, it's whatever, a couple of dollars a year, a month, whatever mm. it is to charge that phone. And, and so if I could be sitting around inside the house or in the office or whatever, and there was a laser just keeping that it's it's smaller battery topped up, then I would have a much lighter phone that would kind of never seem to run out of energy unless I'm away from from inside, you know, if I'm outside, yeah, the terrifying place we call outside. Um, and then and, and I guess the same thing with electric cars, like imagine if you had an electric car that had a that had a 20 kilometer range battery in it. And then was receiving as it was driving along the road was receiving general top ups from the road itself or and, and so on. And it's only if you want to go further afield, do you do you need a different kind of vehicle? It's kind of a it's a yeah. fascinating idea. I think it, it, it it's, it's interesting because, of course, there's a lot of research going on at the moment into battery technologies. I mean, that's one of the biggest areas of research um, really in in in, uh, in in sort of, I guess, materials and so on research. It. it but but of course yes we could get bigger and bigger batteries for things like electric vehicles and they are now allowing like really quite large ranges um but you're right i mean we could we could actually say well maybe we don't need to carry all this mass around in the car yeah um we could we can just regularly charge it and therefore also again coming but it's a very similar argument isn't it to the one we just discussed for yeah. the low earth orbit in a way well that's exactly that you just it. reduce the materials costs yeah yeah i mean I mean, the analogy is, is that we plug our we plug devices in, you know, my, the, this computer that I'm using is plugged in. So imagine if I had to run it off battery power and then recharge it every now and then it would be a completely different machine. My whole life mm. would be utterly different if there was no such thing as wires to continuously power the devices that I use. And yet, we are shifting to a certain percentage, certain portion of our lives running on these battery, you know, the things that need to move are battery operated. But what if they didn't need to be battery operated? What if you could have them, you know, maintain continuous power, wherever you went, it is kind of fascinating, because then it makes Absolutely. them cheaper, simpler, you have one laser mast that you set up in your in your in your yard. And then suddenly, devices are getting power nonstop. Absolutely. And I think I think, to, to be honest, probably one of the other um, factors involved in that is as, as I said, if you if you look at the future of energy um, and say, well, look, we are going to uh, have to um, reduce our reliance on on fossil fuels and so on, and we are, and the world is getting a bit better at that, and there are actually quite quite um, sizable installations for things like solar and so on, um, but but we will have to do that, and of course, uh, if we can go completely renewable at some level, if we, let's imagine we can get all of our energy directly from the sun in a direct way uh, in renew renewable forms uh, actually then then perhaps some of these uh, wireless charging approaches where 
the efficiency, you know, the efficiency might not be the greatest. It's less critical if your energy source is a renewable source. I think. I think. I think. Sort of from an again from an environmental perspective. So, so that probably also opens up um, more applications that become acceptable applications in terms of how mm-hmm. we deliver energy to things. So let's talk about the exploration of, say, the outer solar system. Um, you know, once you reach Jupiter, the size of your solar panels is like 25 times as big as what you would need here on on Earth, and the efficiency just dropped from there. The solution is you put in, say, a nuclear uh, RTG, you know, something that is like a nuclear battery onto your spacecraft, but that doesn't ex- solve the problems for smaller spacecraft. So can you see this providing solutions where I mean, it's I'm sort of envisioning, right? Like if you're going to have like, say, on on Mars, right now, we have perseverance, and we have ingenuity, we have this tiny little helicopter, and the helicopter has a solar panel on top with a battery, and it's flying around. But imagine you tried to do a similar thing, but on I don't know, you know, the moons of Uranus, Um, you know, to have some sort of smaller devices that are working. This seems like a, another really great application where you have you take a fusion reactor or a fission reactor, and then it is beaming power to various smaller devices, people's phones, whatever, to be able to keep them supplied with power. Yeah, I, absolutely. I, th- I think I think again, it's sort of like just providing a link in the chain, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and and it can and it can fit in with other forms of energy and how that's being delivered. So 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 absolutely. I think it's again, it's about versatility, then, isn't it? Yeah, it's it, it it feels like you're almost like redefining what wires are. That that there's a, a laser wire, there's a kind of wire that you can have that in some cases it's the right application. In some cases, a, an actual wire makes the most sense, but for other applications, you know. And then if you ha- you can balance this between wires, power generation, batteries, and mix and match all of these different tools yeah. to give you the best sort of economy depending on the on the need. Yeah, and and of course you're you're mixing up uh, sort of the uh, the conduits for energy and data, right? So so you know again, oh, with, that's really with, interesting. With, yeah, yeah. With with, with with um using using light, you can, well, as as we were discussing earlier, I mean, light we, we use light for communications all the time, um, and we can do that. We can do we can couple it onto the same channel, so we can we can have our our laser beam sending our energy, but we can also put a small modulation on top of it, and then it's sending your data as well. So you can use the whole <laughs> that one system for providing your power and data link. So your so you instead of having Wi Fi, you would have a laser which is like it hitting your phone at fiber optic speeds that is providing power and providing your your uplink to the internet. Yeah, why not? I mean, wow, you, you, you obviously need to think about the, the, the bi-directionality aspect of it. But yeah. but in a way that I mean, that there, there are other technologies being developed now, in fact, are quite well, we're getting very well developed in things like uh, LiFi. So, you know, um, uh, this this sort of light based uh, form of communications. Uh, so so again, you, doing that approach by having the laser power uh, terminal, if you like, uh, yeah, could give you high speed, high speed connection, certainly high speed uh, download from 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 the Internet directly to your device plus the energy to run the device. That's really interesting. Now, now I dismissed the idea of beaming power from space. But I think, you know, for a lot of people, that's a very exciting idea. And it's considered one of the justifications for creating a, a civilization in, in space for us to to build giant space satellites that are beaming power to Earth. 
is that do you think that that's in any way feasible or because the, the, you know, the comparison I always make is like, there's so much power falling on the earth from the sun. And it's so much cheaper to just set up a solar panel than to try and fly a satellite to space to then send that power to to Earth. Do you think there's any feasible application for beaming power from space down to Earth? I think it's. Um, I think one of the one of the issues with, I mean, so I you, I think you make a good point there, right? So I think one of the issues about just let's just have solar panels on the ground idea is that depends a huge amount on your geography, where you are on the planet in terms of how much energy you're actually going to get from that um you know if you're living if you're living in, a, in equatorial regions or something then you you've got pretty a pretty well well uh, defined a nice steady stream of sunlight if you're living in in, in northern climate i mean if you're living in britain actually where i am now then you've got cloud cover quite a lot yeah, yeah <laughs> so, we have the same so, here in so, canada so you, yeah so so you um you know you can't rely on this so 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 i think there there again it's one of those things where i i i think what we need to have is is a very diverse approach to this and so space space solar power i think tries to overcome some of those issues where where actually you can deliver energy where you need it um and it's it's essentially becomes independent of where that is um so so and there are big projects on this so there's a big initiative in this country in the uk uh, the, the, the space energy initiative to try and uh, look at uh, doing this and I mean that's main, um, mainly based on a microwave approach, but of course the laser approach is another method being considered. But but even within that, of course, the other thing to think about is if you're going to start building these very large structures for a, a space-based uh, power station or, or a space station or whatever you're making, you need to build it. And so the other application for for wireless power in space potentially is well powering the robots that are going to do all the work. Right. So, so, so all of the all of the machinery that you're going to need to actually do this needs energy, and and sometimes that's going to be quite hard to access and so on. And again, you might want that those robots are agile and not carrying massive batteries and so on. So, we'll deliver the energy to them. So, so I think that's the way I view it. I view that there are some big picture things that you can think about in terms of like let's build a a, a big power station in space. And I actually personally, I think that may be something that does actually happen. Um, but in but there are steps that require to do that that will need energy and so some of the approaches that we're talking about now i think can help fulfill that need but but like when you think about say the cost of per, per kilowatt hour for solar panels i mean it's just dropping precipitously at this point it's just a couple of dollars yeah. at this point it's and it's still on this technological growth curve absolutely uh, you know decreasing in cost every couple of years nearing think, zero think, and yet yeah yeah I, th I think there are some very significant advances in solar solar cell technology and things like the perovskite materials yes. are, are very up and coming uh have an, had an enormous growth uh in the last few years and i think will fit will also be there to fulfill a, an important demand but equally there are other materials you know there are some fantastic work going on on uh materials that are it, it seems like a bit of a contradiction but transparent materials for that you put, put on your windows that are solar panels um but they capture uh, you know actually capture energy reasonably well uh, and allow enough in for you to actually use it um for, for for um for you know lighting and so on um so there are lots and lots of different things going on to develop solar materials so as I, you know as i said i think i think it's not one solution it's a it's a series of different solutions to make solar panels some of them will be in your home uh, and maybe some of them will be somewhere else that are delivering energy to your home uh, i mean indeed you know if, if going back to the thing about the cloud cover and so on in in north in the northern parts of 
Europe, um, well, may, maybe if you were delivering power to those panels using lasers, that would be a, a supplement as well. But I think that's, that's uh, another interesting area that needs further exploration. So now we're getting even more speculative. So buckle up. Um, uh, so one of the ideas, you, you know, space junk is becoming a bigger and bigger problem. And, you know, there's been lots of ideas to start to clean up some of the space junk. But the but the most feasible idea, the, the, the idea that I like the best is using lasers, that you fire a laser at a piece of debris, ablate a little bit of its material to slow down its orbit and hopefully help it reorbit the the Earth's atmosphere and try and clean up a lot of that space junk. Do you think that, you know, what kind of power of a laser is required for that kind of of activity compared to, say, communication or power beaming? Yeah, so I think I think if it's if it's talking about ablating, um, you know, if you're literally talking about using it to uh, to, to sort of essentially d degrade the material, um, then you're talking you're talking a lot of. I mean, typically, you know, you're using multi kilowatt power lasers to do you know if you want to do welding or something um on, on earth then you might be looking at sort of like 10 kilowatt laser or something like that so um you, you're looking at high pack you know significantly higher powers and it's it's not just the power it's the um it's the it's the concentration because you know the intensity if you like because you know when i was talking earlier about how we would deliver a laser beam over a long, long distance to a, to a satellite where I would say, well, we would, we would um, uh, broaden the beam, you know, we'd make it wider so that we get better transmission. If you're wanting to use a laser to, to uh, over a long distance to uh, hit an object that you want to uh, cause some sort of physical da damage to, or some sort of physical degradation, the intensity has got to be high enough. Hmm. And so that, that, that's, that's a challenge, I think, to, to deliver, because then you need to have very, you know, you really have to look, look at very high powers to achieve that. So, so I think that, that, um, that kind of approach or that, that, that um, application is, is in principle possible, I think, but I can see lots of challenges. In, in, in how you make it work in practice, especially if it's you know looking over quite large distances with very high intensities. Yeah, you can imagine people being a little nervous about nations launching lasers capable of zapping and just, you know, even just ablating material off of pieces of space junk from hundreds of kilometers away. Like, like, what if you pointed at their satellite? What if you pointed at their, yeah. at their optics? What if you pointed at the ground? So I can I can certainly understand that there are concerns, but but we you know space junk is a big problem, and and at this point, how do you clean up a hundred thousand pieces of mm. of garbage? There there, there isn't could, another could, solution that I think is feasible. But as, as I think I mentioned earlier, one of course where lasers can be helpful there is is using uh, lidar techniques um, to know where all those pieces are, so that you can very well track them, even smaller you know relatively small pieces of debris. Uh, that you can track using uh, sort of lidar imaging techniques, but of course that's sort of helping understand the problem and where the problem is, but it's not solving the problem. So, so that 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 you know, other approaches I think there are important. But again, one of the ways that you stop that becoming a big problem is you don't launch as many things, and and you don't have to launch as many things if you can make them last longer by, again, having maybe the energy source that they need that keeps sure. them more operational. That horse is already out of the barn. I mean, we are we are already in the tens of thousands of, of pieces of debris in low Earth orbit, some of which are in orbits that are going to take thousands of years to degrade. So, uh, you know, at some point, 
there will need to be a solution to solve this. And you can't just go and catch them all and bring them back. Mm. I mean, for sure, you can you can try to be better about about thinking about the future and, and make sure that you have a plan for the end of life of your spacecraft. But there's, you know, there's already a lot of debris up there. And as we add more satellites, there is the potential that they're going to collide into, you know, smash into each other and, and create more debris and, and on and on. So, you know, we may get to a point where this is the this is the only technology. I mean, I, I can totally see that there are there are many, many worrying downsides. Um, but the but I wonder about the sort of the feasibility. Um, now, are you familiar with the Breakthrough Starshot Foundation? Uh, a little bit. But yeah, not, not, yeah, not very. Yeah, well, the idea is, I mean, the, it's the idea of laser sailing that you are, yes, you, you take a solar sail and you fire a laser at the sail and, and accelerate it to significant, you know, speeds. Um, have you thought at all about about what kinds of lasers might be best for for doing laser sailing? We haven't. It's not something we've looked at. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I, I was aware of that. Um, and I did look at it with interest. I mean, the the um, yeah, there are things to consider there in terms of what it is you're you're essentially targeting. And again, it, it, it's always the same thing. You, you always look at, well, um, what's the weight? What, what's the optimum wavelength to do that? Uh, what's the optimum way of delivering the energy, for example, in a pulsed form uh, uh, to, 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 to supply the energy in an effective way? So yeah, I think that's a whole area of interest. It's not something we've worked on, but um, certainly it's something I'd be interested to watch further. I mean, I mean, I think about it like you've got the the laser, you've got the the amount of power that you're trying to provide, but you try and you don't want to melt your spacecraft when it's relatively close to the laser, but then it's going to be accelerating away from you at at, at a pretty high speed, and maybe you're continuously zapping it for some period of of time, and so. You, you know, there's going to be a bunch of factors that you're going to have to change over time as your spacecraft mm. is moving away. A, you know, for the smaller versions, maybe you're accelerating it for just a few, maybe, I don't know, a few hundred thousand kilometers. But I've heard ideas on, on even bigger versions that you might accelerate from the Earth out to, say, the orbit of Pluto before you can no longer, you know, hit it with your laser and it's off and it's already now going 20% the speed of light. So it'd be interesting to think about the, like all the dynamics of that whole system as you go. Yeah, absolutely. And also where the laser is, right? I mean, I mean, you know, the, 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 where, where do you position that laser and is there an optimum position to put it that's in orbit or yeah. somewhere, you know, some, somewhere off the surface of the earth, obviously. So, um, and like I, the far I side of the sun, just to be safe. Right. Yes. <laughs> Just so you know, nobody is concerned about what this laser is capable of, because it would yeah, be absolutely. a very powerful laser. Um, and and so, if we were looking in the sky for advanced civilizations that were using very powerful lasers for communication, for power beaming, for laser sailing, what could we look for? Yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting point. I think, well, first of all, you you have it, it's I guess one thing you have to think about in terms of probabilities, um, because of course to be able to see it, um, you either have to be in line of sight, or um, or it has to, or it has to be that laser light has scattered off something that brings it to you, right? right. So, you know, it's it's sort of like um, uh, you know, sort of classic sort of movie. Uh, images of lasers where you see these like uh, red lines shooting around. Of course, you don't see lasers unless you don't see the beam. 
until you actually disturb it in some way. So, so, so as, as I say, it depends on uh, if, if you're within the sort of line of sight of the beam or if it's scattered towards you somehow. The second thing, of course, is you need to, you need to be able to uh, detect it and you probably need to detect extremely small light levels. Um, now, uh, there's been huge advances in things called single photon detectors um actually and and so these single photon detectors are very are getting very good at detecting extremely small numbers of photons um and i imagine you know that this is what we would have to be be looking for and if there was if this was coming from some you know uh, intelligent being somewhere else in the universe and it was within a a, a, a sort of a achievable distance of us that let's say then you would look for patterns in that um right. you'd look at the, on your single photon detector you'd look at pa patterns in the in the signature that's coming through that look that don't look random um that, that look as though it may be may have something behind it so i guess that's what you do yeah yeah um what about using photons as a form of propulsion like a photonic drive yeah, yeah, I, I, that that's. I mean, in terms of you know, it's interesting, of course, because photons have hardly any momentum. Um, you know, it's a, we, we most of the time we assume that we call it zero. Um, so, so you know, we we, th we think of photons as just having zero momentum. Um, so, but but um, yeah, I think that it's an interesting area. I mean, again, I don't I don't know. It's not an area I work in. Yeah, um, yeah. In terms of people trying to do that, but um, I can see that being quite challenging. Do you, I mean, do you think about it in the in the you know, over time, as you are using lasers on your spacecraft, it's going to be receiving a kick in the opposite direction that you may have to eventually compensate for. Yeah, that's, that's, that's an interesting point. I, I my, my sort of gut reaction to that is that it would be so tiny compared to everything else that you're doing that it might, you might, you might not even barely, barely register it. Yeah. But, um, but when you're starting to look at extremely long uh, journeys on, on, on uh, spacecraft at some point in the future, then maybe there are these some little corrections that need to be made but it's it's an interesting point yeah yeah very interesting well uh Steve, it's been absolutely fascinating thank you for answering every single question that i had about lasers and, and space power it was a it was a pleasure to uh to dig as deep as down into this rabbit hole as i was wanting to go i appreciate you uh, humoring me thank you uh, thanks very much it was a pleasure um if people want to follow your work and keep track of the of the project especially the the work you're doing with the space power what's the best way to do that uh well if you just uh, google uh, use the, the the mighty google to uh to get, look at the university of surrey and my name and space power the company so space power have got a nice website that you can look at and see what they're doing and and how things are progressing for them so that i would i would suggest doing that and then watch out for what comes on the news. Well, fantastic. It sounds it sounds really exciting and has the potential, I think, to fundamentally change the way we transmit power both on Earth and in space. So I'm really looking forward to whatever this turns into. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. Take care. Excellent. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.